three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Stoned Apes Podcast. How are you motherfuckers doing today? Great. Chilling. Chilling. Yeah. Missed you guys. Actually, I was really looking forward to today. Crazy. Yeah, so we have a guest today. I guess we should start off with that. So we got Sarge, the Rev, and uh, the professor here, but we also have a special guest. Is it okay to use your name? Okay. All right, we got Danny here. Danny is a good friend of mine. Uh, known him for a little over a decade. Since 14 two, two, years? 2000, what was it, nine? Uh, eight or nine, yeah. Eight or nine? Yeah, yeah so I've known him a while, and uh, he's going to come hang out with us today. And then uh, Eric and Sam, you both know Danny pretty well, too. You've known Danny yeah. for a few months. Yeah. So should be a good time. All right. I'm going to light this joint and get high. Or do you want me to wait on you? I can wait, wait on, on me. you. Goddamn wait slow. But I smoke way longer than you. Anyway. Bust out this Oh, you want a cigar, bro? I'm good. All right, we got, got bro, we got cigars. Got we got more. it all. I got, I got cigars, I'm got weed, got whatever you want, man. We'll figure it out. Well, look through there. See if there's anything you like. I got some little ones. I got croquettas in the truck. Yeah, we do this in style. In case anybody at home is wondering, so this is like a round robin of all the vices. We usually enjoy some nice scotch or some whiskey. And then we have cigars, and we enjoy cigarellos, and we have a pretty good time about this. So you can think about that for those that are home. When I stop making sense, you know why. It's not my fault. Not my fault. <laughs> it's purely not my fault. I'll take the point. I was coerced into this behavior and activity. All right. So what the fuck has been going on with your guys this week? Uh, well. Do you want to talk about? <laughs> I got this rash. <laughs> I got this rash. <laughs> it's an itchy rash. That got interesting. Um, Wait until he shows us. <clears throat> oh my god, screaming was so good. <laughs> Sorry, I'm focusing on this first. But try right, take it. Do what you do, man. Did you get your deer in the freezer? Yeah, deer's in the freezer, man. Okay. Processed that deer yesterday. It was awesome. Danny did like all the work. So I show up at Danny's house. <laughs> and we're gonna do this. And by we we mean you. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's exactly how that went. Danny basically processed the deer for me and watched me stand there and get stoned. And I felt bad about it for a second, and then I was like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> I was like, you know, this motherfucker's done it to me. <laughs> When'd you get a deer? Uh right before I left. When I went on out west on the vacation. I uh I quartered it, I skinned it and quartered it and put it in the freezer. And then uh, uh, when I came back, I was looking for a period where I could ice age it. it. had to get warm enough to melt the ice. And so I couldn't really ice age it out in the cold. So we had a couple of days of heat. And so I put it outside, ice aged it, and then we went down to his place. He processed it, as in mean he, we, I mean we. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> you know, I transported the cooler there and back. He did and, do that. And that. <laughs> I cannot take that from him at all. It was my cooler, by the way. Well. Danny's a fucking amazing dude, so it's all good. Are we on? Mm-hmm. All right, rocking and rolling. We're very on. So I haven't added my underwear up here yet. I know. I, I forgot to bring I, some. I forgot to bring some. But new thing for the podcast is everybody sits at the table for the podcast going to have to leave underwear. Well, that's going to be weird because uh, <laughs> they call it commando for a reason. We're just going to have to tape a pube hair. A Polaroid. Yeah. Polaroid. Yeah. Have to wear a floppy Polaroid like, of your dick just hanging <laughs> here. <laughs> you don't know what he wants to say. 
They don't print well, them out big enough. This all becomes the wall of dick pics right here. <laughs> Pay extra. <laughs> pay extra. <laughs> Free video. You got to pay, pay extra in the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. I wonder what we do in our own time. Oh, <laughs> Find the right angle. Chronic masturbation. <laughs> so, last podcast, you said you had some shit that you wanted to add, Eric, but you didn't want to kind of like get in the middle of my sermon. Mm. Uh, so, want to talk about any of that? Still interested in any of it? Do you remember? remember? Was it a was it a post joint thought? It's always a post joint thought. Always, <laughs> all the good stuff anyway. Always a post joint thought. Um, it's kind of hard to tie in when I'm not fresh on where we went with it, but there, there, uh, there's some big points in there of like the self, the self talk and the self. Um, like societal comp- competition and things like that. Whereas we've used our primitive nature for competition against ourselves in that way. Like it's a design factor of commerce to compete, to make you consume and to buy and to do all that. So if I, I find when you label and you put like intention or thought into like what things actually are it's easier to come back it's easier to like oh I know what this is I know like why everyone wants me to like why Nike wants you to buy Jordans and why coach wants you to buy purses and all like the different competing competition branding it's competition it's the keep but we are designed to compete against one another it's the circle of life it's survival of the fittest is a real true thing when you take society out of the picture if you were just stoned apes not enlightened per se right we would be fighting and competing for our territories and our resources and our and we've because we're enlightened we've transformed that into our status mm-hmm. but and i think it was it's the only natural way because you can't just that goes on to a primal level too. Right, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's our primal instinct. Call see him with yeah. a thing, right? For a yeah. And you, I was actually going to go right there immediately. Like, there's, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So if you draw parallels to the Colosseum, definitely, Danny, or uh, even the tribal division and control, NFL. You, you can literally have people get in fistfights about their sports teams. Oh, yeah. You will have people who could agree on almost everything else, but they can be regionally divided based on fandom toward a Countries specific... go to war over soccer games. Right, yeah, right. but it's it's the same. That's what I mean. We, me and uh, Sean, Sean and I were actually talking the other day about what's the next progression because I, I said... Uh, you know, because you're already starting to see some of the HEMA crossover in the MMA and that. And I'm like, what about when we just start having condemned prisoners fighting to the death? Like, even in even in, in the Coliseum, it went from, hey, this is too boring of these two guys fighting to the death now. Now we need to bring tigers in. Yeah, bring animals. Now we need to wipe out Don't get me wrong, dude. If I was on death's row and I knew I was going to die, and like, hey, you could fight. And maybe if you win enough times, you could get out. Uh, plenty of people would be down. I'm just saying it's the parallel, but we sometimes 
we think we've evolved into a degree we have, but it's just like the when you know that? the Graham Hancock thing when you talk about other societies and things that were lost and everything we didn't know. I think it is short-sighted and maybe ignorant to think, okay, just because we have pictures, drawings, and things like this, to feel that those people were dumber than us. I think it's just different forms of communication. We don't know what technology existed back then. That's why I said things existing under the sun, they're cyclical, I think. Wait, I'm well, I think you bring up a good point, and that's one of the ones that I've been trying to communicate to people for a long time. I think that there's a few concepts in modern society that we fail to understand, and one is the human animal hasn't changed since civilized society has originated. Biological adaption and evolution takes a long time, and even though we're highly adaptive creatures, what's happened is, is our social evolution has outpaced our biological evolution. So we exist in a world now that where our social construct is really kind of at odds with our biological construct and our biology just hasn't quite caught up. So we're living in a world that is competing against ourselves and against our true nature. And that's the other thing that I think people fail to realize too is because of that, the people that existed 10,000 years ago, the, there was Elon Musk's 10,000 years ago. Sure. They were their own versions. They were just as intelligent as we are here today. We are the same animal. So just like we're sitting, just like we're sitting around having this round table, and yes, we have a social environment that is much different, but the physical environment of the human being interaction is exactly the same as it would have been had we been sitting here around a rock 10,000 years ago. That's why religious works are so important, because religious works are essentially, basically... Uh, psychiatric studies of human behavior, right? And it's been modeled and tracked over 10,000 years, roughly. And so you have a 10,000 year study of human nature. Well, of course there's gonna be applicable information in there. And I think it's ignorant that we don't look at the past to get wisdom. Well, and so kind of to that point, thinking we're smarter, Plato and Aristotle are referenced all the time. Right. These guys were geniuses. Well, well, you're right. And what so, was that, three or 4,000 years ago, right. something like so, that? So, yeah, or the, you know, the Greeks are like, you know, going all the way back. So then when people can't, I'm like, you're referencing them in scholarly journals and talking about these things. But then over here, you're trying to be like, but we're so much more evolved than those peoples. It's like, well, wait a minute. How do those two things line up? They were people are people. Don't assume they're dumber just because they don't have the internet. Right. Right? Uh, and to the Graham Hancock kind of thing, we don't know what they had. Right, they could have been way more regard, if you If you buy into any of that or are even willing to entertain any of that, there may have been a different communication highway we don't even know exists I think right now. It could have been the vibration internet I think it was the Discovery Channel had this like apocalyptic scenario that they played out on a show and that really changed my perspective because they had a part of it that showed the degradation of materials that we use for building and how many years approximately it would take for the earth to take that. And it takes yeah. about 10,000 years, they said, but within about 10,000 years, there would be no signs. Like New York City would be a mound of dirt. You wouldn't even know that there was an Empire State Building there. It would be gone. It would just deteriorate into nothing. There would be nothing to see. So when you think that the earth has been around for millions of years and all we know is documented history of what we think is maybe 100,000, 
Well, what could have existed three million years ago? It could have far outreached anything that we've ever done, and we wouldn't even have an idea that it existed. Giant chickens. Giant chickens, right? <laughs> <laughs> skin like, I was leather-like skin. I was literally about to say, giant fucking chickens. In the same Monday, I think it was. Some of the gym were were waiting or whatever for. I think it was before you got there, maybe or something. Anyway, might have been Wednesday. But he's like, dude. It was Tuesday morning when we were shooting. Oh, yeah, it was on the range. So, uh, he's like... They're realizing this thing about feathers. He goes, how can the first guy... You're a, you're a guy who studies dinosaur bones all day, every day. How can you be sitting there? You just looked at a T-Rex for like 12 hours. And now you're eating a piece of fried chicken. And not look at the bones of that chicken wing and go whoa your job is to look at bones and not <laughs> see the same structure and how they're like a t-rex they're finding, they're mm-hmm. finding all these feathers wings. now and resin and stuff and being like oh wait dinosaurs were and then it's funny because i went home later that day or later that night tay was like so think about dinosaurs she goes we're going to be watching jurassic park in 20 years and go we were morons those things all had feathers like because we're so sure of what we know until we don't. Right. And when, right. Then the narrative changes. Right. The narrative, and then there's so much ego behind like, like people's thoughts and like because they become emotionally attached to it. Yeah, they think because they may be wrong that they're lesser than. Like just like just because you have an idea and it may be wrong doesn't mean it's a lesser idea. It just didn't go that way, and that's where you can't let go of that. So we follow these narratives through, like archaeology and all these things that. No one's, and that goes through any like you can bring it down to the individual as a change is not okay, and anything any change is to be like fought against, mm-hmm. right? And that I think is another cultural which goes against science because yeah. that's not ex- what you're supposed yeah, to do. Not the definition science ends up becoming a dogma for people instead of being a science. You're supposed to follow the data. You're supposed to come to new conclusions. You're supposed to accept new information and challenge it against old information. That's the premise of science. The problem is, is we get so dogmatic in our beliefs and we singular our beliefs into a, a box of a structure. And then we say, well, anything outside of that can't be the case. And that isn't the problem. The truth is whatever the truth is, regardless of our knowledge of the truth. Period. Period. I don't care. I can tell you that the... I don't believe in religion, and I can tell you the Buddha isn't real. But if one day I meet Buddha, guess what? I'm going to have to accept some shit. You know, I mean, there are just a point of reference. Like, the truth is whatever it is, regardless of what I believe it to be. And I think we lose that. We think we're above that somehow. Well, it's like, I find it funny that because of special interest, whatever, like right now, things done in the name, I'll use climate changes as an example, only because the attacking of people who are like, oh, you're a climate denier. Right. Or that scientist, they're a a climate denier. Right. Listen to the information these people are presenting. Oh, you're, you're a denier of this. What's the data? Like, the scientific method, like, you guys form hypotheses and things all the time. Like, listen to the data. Don't mm-hmm. just be like, you're, the, it, the fact that it's stated as a predetermined conclusion, regardless of, that's like, all the pushback Graham Hancock gets, you're kind of mm-hmm. just like, 
Yeah, but listen to what he just said. Like, re refute that. Or even the pyramids, you know, when they're like, well, but the uh, Egyptologists, they said this. Neat story. I heard what they said. Refute what this guy just said. But, I mean, or explain it. Well, at that's least. the narrative like, of today is emotions and feelings are outweigh statistics. Outweigh, like, my emotions outweigh your statistics. So, because I feel such a way must mean... It, it is, but I think a lot of it, too, is special interest and an agenda. If the, if the objective was truly the truth, I think, diff, not always, but I think often different conclusions would be reached. But because there is potentially an agenda or an outcome, a predestined, a predesired outcome, it's like a, uh, um, what do you call that, like confirmation bias. Mm -hmm, exactly. Um, That's what we all suffer from in this society. And everybody does, but when mm -hmm. you're talking about institutions doing it as something that's going to dictate public policy, and now here's all these things, even though it's like, well, that's not true, though. Or it might be, but... Yeah, but that's, and then, you know, but they build the problem of emotional, un like, not being emotionally intelligent, but... Yes. Well, they don't... You know, well, yeah, the like, core... The no core is teaching yeah, how the, to manage The itself. core problem here is communication. That's the core problem. And, you know, I used to suffer from this myself until I started working on developing communication skills. And what would happen before is I would get into a conversation, whether it be a debate or I would do a couple of things that were just that most people do. One, when I was in the middle of a conversation and listening, if I had a point to make, I would ruminate on that point instead of continuing to listen to the conversation, allow it to flow in a different direction. So it would show the person that I was talking to that I wasn't listening because all I was doing was thinking about what it is that I wanted to say, right? right. I wasn't thinking about what they were saying. It was just my agenda. So I already have a self-view. Then the other problem with that is when you get to the end of that communication string, what I'm trying to do is not listen to new information. I'm trying to prove that I'm right. I, my point of debate was, like if we debate now, I'm looking for new information. If I would have debated you three years ago, all I would have been looking is for you to leave with my point of view. And we've developed that as a core structure in society. And so what happens is when you develop a dogmatic view, let's use COVID, for example. And I'm not going to get into the intricacies of COVID. I just want to look at reaction policies were put in place. Then the data went in a different direction than the policy. But because they had the policy and the dogma and the narrative already built, they didn't know what to do. So as managers, they're sitting there debating on like how do we approach the situation what is going to be our PR campaign against this do we continue our course or do we deviate and they did risk assessments based on that but that isn't science that becomes governing politics and management and the people at large don't distinguish the difference between the two the science did go somewhere else but the public policy stayed the same and now you have two different paths and that creates a, a real conflict when you have governing boards, you know, like the CDC, things like that, that have political agenda to promote, regardless of what their science is promoting. And that's a guilty across all things, and so that isn't just science. That, that's guilty across so many different spectrums of society. But it all comes down to that core communication. Nobody is trying to seek the truth. Everybody is trying to seek their own truth. I, I, I think I have a problem with that. People say, well, I don't know, how do you feel? I don't think it matters how do you feel. How do you believe? What are your beliefs on that? Yeah, but that's like where I was trying to go. It circles it back to self-management. That's right. The, I feel like a core issue for 
most any way you're like a lot of issues politically or not if you feel knew how to manage themselves and their desires and their things and their way they talk to themselves the way they talk to others the way how i respond to the world around me is i have to manage mm-hmm. and it's not your fault if you are trying to not make me angry but tell me a thing and i'm getting angry that's me yeah. Right. It's my self-management. I need mm-hmm. to figure out why am I doing this? Why can't I hear what he's trying to tell me? Why? Right. You know. Oh, well, that's important because, like you said, it's uh, my wife said it a while ago. She's like, it's a very big problem if you're listening to respond, not listening to comprehend. Yeah. Because Jordan Peterson actually had a really good way he talked about interacting with people you really care about if it's contentious. I'm not going to get it right 100%, but the premise is this. If it's contentious, you need to be able to, at any given point in the discussion, re, if we are arguing, I should be able to, you should say, what did I just say to you? Or what is my take on this? I should not only be able to restate your position, I should be able to restate your position perfectly. Like every detail... No nuance, no just who, where, what, when. No, mm-hmm. Not Forbidding. even why, necessarily. But I need to see... Be, and it, then it becomes difficult to be angry or whatever because I'm trying so hard to understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's flat. You, you don't know give yourself I mean? space because, to have Because then I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to just yeah. respond. Right. I'm trying to... Understood well, to comprehend. That, that was the best thing that I'd ever switched in my marital communication a long time ago was understanding that when a conflict occurs, two parties are at fault. And before I can assess fault, I have or, or put fault on someone else, I have to assess it for myself first. And so that made me become introspective because it was like, okay, what did I do in this situation? Where am I actually guilty? Now, once I know what my responsibilities are, is the reaction re-responsible, re-reasonable, right? Is it reasonable for what happened? And then I can assess, okay, but you did this and this. Maybe I did act wrong here, but look, you know, we could come to a compromise. But you can't do that if you're not looking and saying, what did I do? Right. And I have a great example, like what uh, he was talking about. So two conversations, one with you and then one without. So me and Sam got in a conversation the other day at the gym. So on based on communication, as soon as he started to talk to me, I went on the defense. I got defensive. I felt my body kick into the mode, my language, my tone, my behavior, everything went defensive. Then he got defensive. Conversation continued. We did a good job with the conversation. I have no complaints about that, but that could have been improved. Later that day, I ended up in a conversation with Michelle and she started on a subject that I'm pretty sensitive about and I immediately went on the defensive and I felt myself get the defensive feeling. And then I stopped and I went, no, drop the defense and listen. Listen to what's being told to you because that's more important than being defensive right now. And by stopping that physical reaction, by ignoring how I was feeling, it allowed me to be able to assess the situation and realize, okay, no, this is valid. This is a good correction. Let's take it. And then it made me reflect on the earlier conversation with Sam and went, I could have done that better. Mm -hmm. See, I felt pretty good about it overall, though. Oh, for sure I did, too. But, you know, that's why I think we're always seeking for improvement. <laughs> Next time I'm in a similar engagement, I'm going to use a different tactic because now I'm aware. Mm-hmm. That's self-growth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
you know yeah, that's true. but n how many people are out there doing that and that's the problem i don't think that many people are i think people go well i felt this way fuck that guy and then they go on their day and they never give two thoughts about that interaction and they never grow well, they never improve and think about this i wasn't even i was a messenger right essentially but think about this how many men do you know who could have left that conversation and given each other a hug and said i love you brother Right. Not very many. Right? Like, right. at the end of it, like, that's not a thing people could even, like, that could have been a fuck this guy forever kind of thing right. for some people. Absolutely. And that's why I and said... And for I'll, me, four or five years ago, from experience, Danny <laughs> has, I would have done that. That probably would have been a relationship-ending thing for me five years ago in my life because I was afraid of conflict. I would have just wrote it off and went on my way. I would have never assessed it. And then I would have continued on that path like I did for the next four or five years. You know? And that is, you know, I, I wrote Danny off, what, three years, a year and a half after a relation for about, what, three years? It was a minute. Oh, you guys had a coming back story? Oh, oh we do. I came on his back. Yeah, I yeah. want to hear about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That got real. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, you said come back, my bad. Okay. <laughs> so, mixed up. so what happened was, so so Danny and I were training at a at a local gym together, and um, I had a major falling out with the gym, and uh, I was guilty, hundred percent. Like that doesn't matter. I, I was at fault. The people at the gym were at fault. We were both wrong. We both reacted to it entirely inappropriately, and uh, we went down this road, but. Because the situation was a gym situation and it involved multiple people, I made the decision that anyone connected to the gym could potentially be the problem, and I just cut them all off. I just used the scissors, cut the strings, and unfortunately, Danny fell in that group. Yeah. The mistake that I made because I was afraid of conflict is I didn't give him the opportunity and address it with him. We never had the sit down. So I made all of these assumptions about who he was, what he was doing, what he might have been thinking, what his intentions were, but never actually took the time to say, hey, buddy, this is how I'm feeling. What do you have to say? And then listen. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Three years later, um, I sent you a message. he's a stalker, and yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't leave me <laughs> alone. Man, I'm, a, I'm a, by default, I'm a very loyal individual. Yeah. Like, if you have my friendship, you got me. And then obviously there's different levels to that as, as you grow closer. And, you know, I helped him move and I could feel a strong friendship developing quick and then it's like cold turkey gone. And that, that rubbed me. I ghosted like, him. It, it, like, it cut me. I'm like, God. I've and lost then, friends like that. I don't know how it is. Yeah. And just, <laughs> yep. It, 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 it just, like I said, it struck me wild. So it was just popping my head one day and I pulled over and sent him a message. I'm like, we got to talk. Like, at least give me closure on what the fuck happened. I had no idea. And we met over here at the McDonald's. Yeah, ironically, right? Because yeah. you were living in Hillsboro at yeah, the time. I was literally 10 minutes from here. Yeah. Yeah, we met and we kind of talked it out. And it was like, you know. It was like a three-hour conversation. It felt like a creeper. Yeah. On the kiddies' playground or whatever it was out there. Yeah, and then, uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was fine. He just got McBurgled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the cops were there, but it was, it was fine. <laughs> We were uh, near school, so we were okay. But yeah, no, we just decided to kind of take it slow, and then it developed into what it is today. And uh, Danny's been my best friend for a while now, so uh, we've been through thick and thin together for sure. Lots yeah. of conversations. Oh, we've good. had everything, lost everything, Dude. three times now, right? Fuck. Together. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been through some shit. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I will say losing everything, starting over. Is we, not, we've been, we've not, been on, we've I've been on twice in my life. Yeah, we've been on his boat, charting to a private island in Florida, all the way to living in a fucking single wide trailer that you know you couldn't give away for ten bucks if you had to. Oh man. I think we're doing all right now. I think we're doing all right, man. It's been a long road, hasn't it? Yes. Ups and downs and twists and turns. Fate is a weird, weird thing. If you think about like that, just wealth and giving and taking and loss and things in life, like look at other empires and what guys go through. You, you know what I mean? Like back to Rome, like legionnaires left and were given what four acres and a goat or something, and then now it's like. And after like 25 years, bro. Right. This whole thing's dissolved. They made that deal because they knew they weren't going to have to make that deal. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's no different than me retiring. Right. No different. Dude, if I was an emperor, I'm like, you give me 25 years service and you get four acres of my land and a goat or whatever. It's real. I'm, I'm making We're going war. Going to war. We're going to war, dude. He's retiring. We're going to war. Put his ass in the front line. Why do you look? It's year 24, man. Let's go. Why do you think a large portion Persia of, pissed me off? A large portion of the Russian mafia is former military. Because when everything, it. when it, all that dissolved, those guys were like, no, uh-uh, we're getting our peace, yeah. <laughs> right? They were like. I don't know, it's just funny. Like, people start over, and it's like, man, you can crawl back out. You're still building an empire. Well, it's like when you're in the military, though. You're you're on such a fine line. I think law enforcement suffers the same thing, and we don't think about that in society. We call these people the good guys. But when you look at the job, and you look at who you are and what you're doing, the, your behaviors and activities are very similar to the bad guys. It's a very gray area. We just talked about that. It's a Dude. very gray area. Dude. You know, so it's like, it's a very easy switch. Like, you can go from being the good guy that kicks in the door, that kills the bad guys, could very easily just be the bad guys the next scene. You know? Who is the bad guys? Define them. Whose team are we playing on, right? We funded the Taliban. Yeah, right? That was a good idea. Hey, that can help, right? That was a great investment. A1 for political strategy. (laughs) We We do it all the time, though. We were talking about gangs, though. And like, yeah, dude, like America's there's rules. Just the biggest gang there's rules in violence. any gang. There's rules in right. any gang. That was well said, Eric. And I'm like, we talk about the cops, and I said, dude, you want to talk about it? I said, try Gina, seeing, try seeing me that? in Iraq. Is that your quote? I we were savage. I'm not gonna say that. I just, was, I was just with the biggest gang with the biggest rule. Like some of the stuff we did rolling in, like we knew the rules we had to operate within this, but for the other people. Uh uh-uh. uh, and that's why I joke. I've, I've actually offended a few police friends, but like I've said, look, dude, I'm like that thin blue line. The thin blue line is there to protect itself. And oh wow, no man, blah blah blah. And I'm like, look, yeah. All I'm saying is that's when I got you got to come down to the individual. As it individuals. Is, I didn't say you were a bad person, and that's how it always starts. I said I didn't say you were a bad person. I didn't say you were a bad police officer. I didn't say you believe in it. What I'm saying is. You look at all the police problems we have, use force issues, racial or whatever, that's manipulated. However, comma, all the bad cops, if this cop's wrong, it makes all the cops look mm-hmm. wrong. So more this and I told this story to one of the police officers, who's a friend who I was and, and I'm like, look, pretty pro law and order and police. Well, I cater to them, right? Train them, deal with them, right. whatever. However, when I was in Indiana, 
a I was in a veterans motorcycle club, like actual motorcycle club, confederation of clubs, for real acknowledged by one percenters. Well, at the confederation of clubs, they were taking all this money because a club had been in a turn. Sam becomes more interesting. Yeah. Well, there's a layer of onion. Now I did. I was <laughs> just like, okay, now I'm picturing you in leather. <laughs> Assless chaps. I mean, maybe. So maybe I'll hang the chaps from that. Ooh, yeah. that's, yeah. that would be a good wall picture. We should add that to the collection. Sam with his chaps. We, like we, should, do, we should do a Stone Apes photo shoot. From oh. the back. From the back. <laughs> Stone Ape Village people. <laughs> Anyway, uh, but this, <laughs> just a it, bunch of male boudoir, it'd be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. It's fine. Uh, anyway, all these bikes were in a turn lane, like eight bikes. And it was just, it was an MA, actually, a motorcycle association, but a indie cop, drunk as hell on duty, flying up from the rear. These bikes are stopped. Forget if this guy had a whaler on, whatever. They're stopped in a turn lane, left-hand turn lane. This patrol car plows into eight of these bikes. Going like sixty. Oof. Like three guys died, or two guys died. I think a bunch of people were really, really, really bad. There were donations going out across the whole motorcycle community. All this stuff. We, a bunch of lawyers for all the clubs were involved. All this stuff. The cop. There was a full empty fifth of vodka in his patrol car in the passenger seat. The responding officers, when they showed up. They took him, they, they, you know, hey, you're, yeah, you're done, whatever. Well, where they took him to get his blood work done, they took him to a facility that they knew would be inadmissible in court. The guy lost his job. No criminal charges. Right. That's fucked. It is. Because. But it's, but it's common. And that's why I made the comment to the police officer. And they go, man, no, it's whatever. I said, I'm not, this isn't a value judgment on you. Just like I wasn't at Abu Ghraib. Mm-hmm. Right? Not that we didn't do things we had to do to get the job done, but when you hear the uh, the thin blue line, and I'm like, people wonder about, you know, issues with the police and bad cops. I'm like, sometimes, well, we can't, like, that guy was kind of quietly fired, but not, hey, this cop went to jail, went to whatever, you know? But if it was you as a civilian, the same situation, you'd have been hung on the cross. Right. Well, and that's and that is where and that's why it's the thin blue line, right? Or that's, that's why it's point. the gray yeah, area, right? That's my point. Because if if I was to stash evidence or if I was to do something like that as a civilian, that would be criminal, right? That would be something that would be considered not tolerable. But it's tolerable if it's a cop doing it, right? Because there's that gray area, but then it becomes still criminal activity. But yeah, that's what, like, it goes even higher than that. I mean, aren't we talking about Biden with his Sensitive Information oh, Act? Like, thousand percent. I've worked for the government before, and if I plugged my phone into charge on the computer, I could go to jail. That's what Boeing was. Yo, when Hillary came out, when Comey came out and did the press release on Hillary Clinton, and he's like, yeah, she did it, blah, 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 but she didn't mean to and all this stuff, I literally remember I was sitting... Looking at a TV at work, around a bunch of officers, and I looked and I go, well, this is easy. They better find somebody else because she can't run. Because I knew what U.S. Code said. It did not say, may not, whatever. It said, if you do this, you shall not be able allowed to run for public office. Because, like, to your point, that's 
mandatory training 101. Yeah, dude, I have to if click you this violate thing. this, like if I'd have done a fifth of that, I'd still be in. Yeah, but you know, we've got we've got to the point, and it, and that's what I think people fail to realize. I, I think that there's there's two things here. There's an oligarchy. That's what well, for sure. But one, I don't believe things have been much different than this at any time in the Ever. past. No. Okay? No, no, no. I, I think yeah. a lot of people think it's getting worse. I think we're just more aware of it. Yeah, right. Now yeah, now like, we have social media and information, yeah. so we yeah. know more about what's going on, right? So it's more exposed. But the law exists for us, not for them. Right. It's to rule the people, not the governing. And that is exactly how it's treated, and that's wrong. But then that's also why, because that's been so acceptable for such a long period of time, that's why I, I said last podcast, I really do believe that we're transitioning to a totalitarian, totalitarian style government where we're, we've given that power away. When the rules no longer apply to the people that are governing you, mm -hmm. then they are dictators. Period. End of story. And we have established that social norm all the way down to our local government officials, our water people, our local police people. That standard is not the same across the board. And those people should be held to a higher standard, not to the same standard. Not alone, a lower standard. Well, it's why I said we're supposed to be a Republican form of government, where the rule of law is the standard know what I mean? Because in, right. in a democracy, the majority rules. But in a republic, the democracy votes, but the law is the law. Right. You know what I mean? That's why it's so difficult to do a, get a constitutional amendment through. Because it can't be, oh, 51% of the people say we should be able to own all your shit. No. Uh-uh. That's a very difficult thing, right? Uh, and, yeah, oligarchies are always going to, power is always going to consolidate. It's human nature. Power is going to consolidate. When it's going to consolidate, it gets corrupt. It's just like I said, uh, we talk about Camelot or the myth of Camelot. If you have a altruistic individual running things, Camelot's great. As soon as Arthur died, what happened? <laughs> right? Like, okay, you have this great divine, and because people talk about divine right of kings, and like it doesn't still exist. And I'm like, I'll show you dynasties right now. Mm -hmm. How much time you got? Right. Right, uh, um, and that's just kind of the the nature of of things, you know. Good, better, and different. Uh, um, it's definitely talked, the world that we constructed. Well, we were talking oh, about yeah, anarchy, like you know. And I said I would prefer to tend toward. I don't want the bloodshed and craziness of anarchy. However, comma, democide, you could argue, is just as bad, if not worse. Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's just who's exerting exerting their their will. Right. And it's like the founders. It's like, I believe in the ideas they put in place. It doesn't mean they all got it right. I mean, for Christ's sakes, there was the Whiskey Rebellion right after we were founded in Washington. Turned around and did what he had been pissed and about. And whiskey's delicious. And whiskey's delicious, <laughs> right. But um, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, good for good for thee, but not for me. Right. Well, and it comes all the way back. You mentioned the founding fathers. It's like the story of America, right? You know whose history you're listening to changes the narrative of that story completely. We committed treason. If you were loyal to the British, that is treason. That's not something to be celebrated. To us, we celebrate our independence. You know whose team were you on at that time would completely change your moral one perspective. Man's, one right. man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Right. Yep. Hundred mm -hmm. percent. Well, and even the, put so let's break it down to the micro, right? 
Think about even how difficult it is. Damn it. And I'll use martial arts, <laughs> right? White belt. There's, there's jokes in jiu-jitsu that blue belts show up late and don't warm up. It's a regular thing, right? Blue and, like, upper belt. Like, people get promoted and, like, oh, look, they missed. They skipped all the warm-ups now or skipped all this. Because now they have a little bit more stature because they've done You can time, do that. Whatever. I can skip the warm-ups. No, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but where... Oh, you it, can. But, like, so last we'll night... We'll just get that warm-up in later. I led the warm-up. But that should probably be... Every once in a while, he's gonna he jumps in and does it still. But think about how hard it is once you're at that level. At some point, you have to hold yourself to be honest, which is a difficult thing to do, though. Most people can't even admit that to themselves. But it's like, it's like I remember as a platoon sergeant, I'd get out there and I made it a point, like whenever something really, really hard and shitty had to be done, loading connexes to come back mm. from. JRTC, my last CTC deployment. Piss and rain, we've been it'd been really hard, all this other shit. I literally top off and I remember my section sergeant, senior section sergeant, saw me doing that, climbing in over boxes and was like, everybody get up off your ass right now, because he was one scared I was already mad. And I wasn't mad. And I said, You should have already been in here ahead of me. I told him that later. Right. This is hard. At some point, this is what matters. And this is what separates a good organization from a great organization. And I'm like, it's the hardest thing in the world to hold yourself accountable. I asked a buddy of mine in Hawaii. Our OPSAR major at the time, I ended up taking his job two years later when he left. I said, what's the hardest thing is a senior, you're the senior rank you can be in the Army for you. What's the hardest thing? We're on the beach drinking beer. He has a special cabin. I remember his one of the wives who her husband was a first heart. She's like, how do you get that cabin? I want to get that cabin. She goes, no, honey, you know, maybe next year or something, because that's for only for field grade or above or star majors. And, like, you saw the lady deflate a little, and I'm like, how fucking sad is that? I want to put one of my privates in, in that cabin for the night. You know yeah. what I mean? Some special... Like, I understand they earned it. They paid their dues. There's a part of that. But I said, what's the hardest thing for being accountable? He said, honestly, Sam... And I knew this guy was he's seven in Germany. He goes, I can do whatever I want. He's like, I'm not going to lie, man. Some days there's meetings I just don't go to because who's going to... What are they going to do to me? He goes, the hardest thing is like... Self-managing. Being accountable because mm -hmm. yep. I'm at the top... Even if my, like, this guy yells at me, and I'm like, yeah, cool story. Fuck you, I'm still going to retire. This is where it all comes back to self-management. Right. right. Which is and why self-employment is such a difficult thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, self-management really is, is yeah. a real little struggle um, through, I think, that's why it's just easier to go get a job. Because, and that's why I, like, to just be, to be here at 7, do this, 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 and this, make sure these tasks are done. Isn't it ironic that we're all self-employed at this table? Yeah. Hmm? Well, it's like... Like kind meet people attract real recognize is real. Goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> we're all risk takers. We're all entrepreneurs. Yeah, and that's <laughs> but it, but it's like to that point. You're out there in warm up shadow boxing. You'll get out there and roll with guys still. You people need to see you doing the work too. Mm -hmm. 
Well, can I tell a story? Yeah. So the greatest management lesson I ever had occurred when I was in the Army. And it completely shaped everything that I went into schooling with. It, it, it shapes everything that when I teach management today, if I put together a management program and I go into a company, this is a big part of this. Um, so when I went in the military, I went in as an E-1. And I was in the Army for maybe about maybe a year and a half. I, I don't remember how long, to be fair. And uh, I had a few squad leaders before this guy, and they were just regular, typical squad leaders. Uh, you know, when you're an E1, E2, if their shit rolls downhill, and if there's something bad that has to be done, you're the guy that gets assigned to do it. If it's working late, if it's a dirty job, no matter what, you're the asshole that gets to go do it, right? That's the rank has its privileges, and you have no rank. And so I would go out and do that. Well then, yeah, right. White belts. If you're listening, white belts, clean the mats better. No. Um, <laughs> if you don't know how to mop the mats. And so, then I get this squad leader, and his name was Sergeant O'Connor. And Sergeant O'Connor was like a 12-year E5, so he was not very well liked, and he didn't do anything by the book, and he was rough around the edges. He was that guy that never had the squared away uniform, and. The popular opinion of him really wasn't there. Right. But immediately he started doing things much differently than managers that I, or squad leaders that I had before. And that is when those shit assignments came up, he would join us. You know, we had to pull the first time we had pulled pack one night, late at night, it was uh, after uh, SNA close, so it was five. And so we go down to the motor pool and it was going to be a late evening. And it was, you know, usually it's the squad leader, but like go down there and meet the mechanic, get to the tank, pull the pack, whatever. And then, um, and then we would work, you know, nine, ten o'clock at night, whatever, and, and that was that. And uh, the first time he does that, he comes in, like half an hour later, he's coming into the motor pool and he's walking, he's got a 12-pack of beer with him, brings the beer down, he sat with us the whole night. And then we come to the field, we were in a field operations after a few times of that, and it's a turning point with me is we're coming in from the field, it was cold. I, I, I don't remember how cold, but it's Fort Riley in the winter. So you're in Kansas, yeah. it's fucking miserable. And we're coming back in, and we're in these old... So I was a combat engineer, and at that time I was on an AVLB, which is a bridge layer, like the old G.I. Joe days, right? The monster. And so these things are terribly unreliable. And we're coming in from the field after being out there for like two weeks in the winter. Everybody's tired. Everybody's pissy. Track breaks in the middle of a giant mud hole. And drops track. These things are fucking huge. You know, 60 is a 60-ton tank, right? So when a track breaks, this is a problem. And of course, low man on the totem pole, it was in my squad, and they're like, hey, and it calls me and my buddy, and it's like, you guys are going down there. Well, we started to pack up and get ready to go down. We were gonna go with the mechanic, and we were gonna break the track and do whatever we do. And um, it wasn't, we were like five minutes on the way, and here's Sergeant O'Connor coming right with us. That guy, instead of going in from the field, which he could have easily done, stayed with us, worked waist deep in water in the freezing cold for hours, doing the bulk of the work. The respect that I earned for that man in that moment reshaped how I looked at leadership. Because after that, he could ask me to do anything. I wouldn't hesitate. I'd do anything for that guy. He always had my best interest. And when I knew he was willing to do it too, that was it. And so that's why I changed what I do like when I go into work. The very first beginning of every every tax season, when I go into the offices, I will go around spec cleanliness, and usually every office will always have a dirty bathroom. I will go into the bathroom, get on my hands and knees, I will clean that whole bathroom until it is spotless. And I'll say, this is the standard. But from that point, when the owner of the company is on his hands and knees scrubbing a toilet, 
there's nothing that I can't expect anyone else to do that I don't already do myself. So when I say, hey, clean the toilet, they know damn well I've done it. They've seen me do it. They'll get down on their hands and knees and they'll clean the toilet. But you can't do that if you walk around in this inflated position. You can't do that when you're only delegating authority 24-7. You have to lead by example or that nobody's going to follow you. Yep. Well, you always think it's easy or I'm missing something. JRTC or the QRF for the battalion. I didn't sleep for four days. My driver, anytime we were back, they rack out. I have a dog bone up to my ear. Hey, Mike on the other side with a Peltor. Okay. Boop. I'm answering the radio. And he was like, Sergeant Sandy, you gotta sleep. I'm like, I'm good. Get some sleep. After four days, I finally, my body shut down. Completely quit. Full REM sleep to the point. Battalion got alerted. One of the captains I knew in the three shop was running up, pounding on my window. My driver's trying to reach across, across all the bullshit to hit me to wake me up. Finally, they got the back door because I had everything combat locked, so the op four couldn't get in. Because that's a the thing they try to break in and steal trucks. <laughs> we were the I was a heavy weapons platoon sergeant, so we were the maneuver for a light infantry battalion. So we had trucks with you know tow missiles and the fifty cals, and, and he come in and he tapped me, and I was like, "What's up? What's up, sir?" And he was like, "Are you okay?" It's like, we were pounding on this, and the driver looks over him and said something. He goes, yeah, sir, he just hadn't slept in four days. And the captain's like, sir, I'm saying, come here a minute. I got out, and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, fine. And he, he was like, look, I get the game, but you need to sleep. Ranger qualified from regiment, regiment captain. He's looking at me. He's just like, you've got, I get it. We need you to sleep too. I go, I get it in when I can. He goes, No, none of this. I sleep and answer the radio. Like, you gotta sleep. And finally, we got a pause X literally the next day, and I died in place for like 12 hours. But. Probably the best sleep in the world. Yeah, it, it, well, it was just like somebody hit the off button and then they turned the off. Like, I felt like mm. I slept for an hour, and I was like, Oh, it's been 12 hours. Mm -hmm. It just. You don't know tired until you've done that like when you're past the hallucination phase which absolutely happens at sleep deprivation like I remember being in Iraq 36 hours into an op under night vision and I literally was in a hide laid up to kill guys putting bombs in with our sniper team and I lazed something because I saw a guy coming out and placing something on a road and my laser hit him and his body went I'm under night vision so it's in this green pixelated thing. I see this dude coming out, putting shit in, and my laser hit him, and he went and blended back into the environment. Oh, shit. And I went. And the sniper, my buddy next to me, Kiko, he hit me, and he's like, are you good, bro? And I was like... You're watching TV? I, said, <laughs> I told him, I said... Uh, Got him. I said, I said, yeah, man, I'm good. And then after a minute, I was like, I thought I saw a dude putting something in, and he goes, dude, I've been here seeing shit all night. It's cool. But I indeed a laser, because yeah. I legit was about to shoot somebody, but that somebody was nothing. This is my imagination. I had a buddy on an ambush line one time, laugh hysterically, because he saw E.T. run across the ambush line. <laughs> He's sitting there, and he goes, <laughs> what are you doing, Rick? We're, like, trying to be, t you know, totally quiet. You're in an ambush line. He goes, dude, I just saw E.T. run across the road. 
happens. Like sleep deprivation is a different thing, man. Like, yeah. It's its own. This, <laughs> this is this is <laughs> this is why I prioritize sleep. <laughs> Just so we're clear, I don't say you guys could go that long without sleep because I get the double vision and start hallucinating. Hour Sam was a special breed of human. The people that he ran with were not normal people. Sam was in a, gr- an elite group of <laughs> bastards. <laughs> okay? Yes. I am not Sam. <laughs> yeah. Sam was a badass. I'll wake up at like 8.15 going, oh, Sam's I'm still be a badass. So not that way. Sam, Sam was like... You got that old man sleep now. Oh my god. Five like, minutes in a chair and you're like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went home last night and I threw some food down and I laid there and it was like nine and I'm sitting there nodding off. I've only been home like not even an hour and I'm sitting there like, oh man. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to bed. And Tay's like, okay. And I'm like, oh man, I only get seven and a half hours of sleep. So I had to get up to go do pad work with Sean. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, I only get seven and a half hours. Dude, that's the fact that I am able to sleep now. For years of my life, four hours was a good night of sleep. A good portion of my adult life. Like, I find it funny when you talk about health and stuff. I remember last year's in the military, I was getting my annual checkup done, whatever that's called. I don't remember. And they were like... An overcough checkup or... All of it. It's, uh, you know, they're doing your vitals and blah, blah, blah. And they're looking at blood pressure. And I was like a 132 over 80, 90 or 80, high 80s or something. And I, I don't even know what those numbers mean. I asked the lady and she goes, well, that's like... For a civilian, that would be hypertension, but she goes. <laughs> she goes in the in in the military for your rank where you're at. You're actually given about an extra ten to fifteen points the other way before we're worried. And I was like, yeah, before what? the machine breaks. <laughs> right. So if you're for civilian, you're fucked. But, but if no, you're but military, you're normal. If you weren't expendable, we would be worried. Now I'm like a one sixteen over like seventy five, like ideal if you're looking at a chart or something. Well, you're I, a civilian. Right. It's like, well, the stress. Like, it's not even things you realize, but they build that in for the stress. And I was like, what is the... Maybe they have it as a built-in, but, like, what did that do to you? I understand the human body's fairly resilient and can bounce back and heal and everything, but I'm like... It damages you. It was like that for well over 10 years, at least. It's like Mm. last night. I'm like, I spar with you guys, and I'll be fine. And I roll an ankle one night doing... Uh, shadow boxing and last night just doing footwork and I'm like snap ankle that's why I threw my mouth guard across the room I'm like really you it's... should probably just brace that thing dude on. I had the light brace on that's no the no one. you need to like lock that bitch in well you know what I did this morning in pad work all but I basically was a peg leg pirate walking around to working with Sean just for what I had to do this morning because I'm like no oh, I committed to it it's still frustrating. It's like the long term. When I had a bone scan done in Hawaii, I remember the doctor came in. My heel had been crushed. Like the entire, you know, your bones look like mm. uh, honeycomb. Right. I was coming down off a toes on bar. This ankle was actually already jacked up, but I was still working out with my guys, and my grip gave out through just doing toes to bar on this high thing, and my foot on uh, five finger shoes just slammed heel on concrete. Crushed my heel. Couldn't run. I can- I've run on broken feet before. This was a new thing. So they're like, you need to go in, they do a bone scan, they inject you with radiological isotopes, and you're looking at this screen where 
they're showing wherever the isotopes will pull where there's damage. Well, I'm looking at this screen, and on one side of it, you can see a big starburst, and then there's all these other starbursts. And I'm like, okay, well, the doctor comes in. Cause they have a doctor who works. When you're outside some and it says nuclear lab, you're like, I don't know that I want to be here. You just injected me with a nuke or something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor comes in and he goes, uh, so what are you here for exactly? And I'm like, well, he goes, stop. I know your heel's fucked up. Are you here for anything else? And I'm like, well, no. So then I go in <laughs> for the assessment, and the podiatrist dude's reading it at the clinic, and he's like, so your heel's crushed. That's why you can't run. You also have two recently healing fractures in your upper left foot and at least two to three breaks in your right foot plus your ankle where you messed it up before you pulled the tendon all the way off and there's a bone spur sticking out on the ankle that I roll all the time he goes so it's all messed up and the fact that when you came in here you said I went on a run with my guys this morning no you don't run anymore period full stop the end for the next six months you're not doing shit and I went Oh, now think about how many times in the army. I am so glad I did not know you during those six months. Think about, <laughs> think about how many times in the army you were hurt. Like, I remember I'd run and be like, oh, my feet hurt a little bit. I didn't realize, oh, that's three broken metatarsals or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like oh, it's just stress fractures. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's not, uh, like, you ignore your body because. You're kind of told to. Yeah, you you are told culturally. Yes, mm-hmm. I say Man it's, the fuck up. It's yeah. very useful. I understand the utility of it. It's like with my shoulder when I had surgery. It had been messed up for like eleven years. The doctor was like, "Oh, it looks like a bomb went off in there." I don't know how you did this. Well, because I can still throw on armor and do push-ups and pass a PT test and do all these other things, and your PA at your unit is incentivized to, like, there's numbers that have to be hit and percentages. So it's like, is he breathing? (coughs) Yeah, cool, you're fine, drink water. You know? I've had this ankle literally black from here down multiple times, and they've been like, it's just a sprain. Just a sprain. I'm like, I think I broke it. I literally finished a walk one time. I literally had a roll of 100-mile-an-hour tape. Taping my ankle so I could finish a 12-mile walk back. Walk back. They went in, they looked at it, and I was like, I think I might need an x-ray. They got, no, you're not going to get an x-ray. It's just a bad sprain. It's just a tendon. Didn't even assess it. That should have been an MRI. Anywhere else where you're black from here down? Motrin, drink water. Take a knee. You'll be fine. <laughs> Army Can't medical care is superb. God, I socialized baby. medicine's awesome. <laughs> I, I, you know, hey, I, we can get into that. That's another day. Um, yeah, that's a lot. So, if you're out there listening to that, and you're one of those people that are like, you know, beating your body up, um, don't be pay attention bitch. to Sam's story. Don't be that guy. You're gonna have to live with that body later in life. You Which know? is where I'm at right now. No, I just had this conversation with Ethan the other day and really got into it with him. And Even it's been just a short time, but he's really starting to appreciate recovery. And now he's starting to take it a lot more seriously. And he's, he's focusing on flexibility and mobility and, and things that you can't get a lot of young people to focus on. Because he's starting to see a difference between, you know, he sees a guy come in and he's 40 years old 
and he watches them move, and then he sees me move at 40, and he's like, whoa, like, yeah, it's like, hey, man, I want to be moving like this when I'm 90. I want to be that woman on Instagram that's doing gymnastics rings at 97 or whatever hell age she is, right? It, that's possible, but that's not possible if you don't take care of your body. When you beat your body to death and you break it over and over and over again, you're going to have to live with that when you're 80. And I'm not, my path to, to from this point forward is to try to make sure that my longevity is there. Hey, I wish I would have learned that a long time ago. Dude, I read a thing in the Army Times in like 2000 where I got out the first time. And they were saying the average life expectancy of a 20-year retiree, I think at the time, was like five years. I remember just reading the article being like, yeah. at, at the time I'm a young boy and I was actually fairly, I had a pretty clean diet relative to, because back then in the army, everybody smoked, everybody drank. I didn't really, I drank a little, uh, but I mean like a 12 pack a night drink. Um, and you'd go run eight miles and then you'd come back and dudes would run down and like, hey, who's grabbing Burger King? Right? Like, right. that was the culture. And I sat there, and I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he goes, dude, fuck that. It ain't worth it. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, hold on. I said, I don't think it's all just the stress and all the other things. Because even then, you don't know what your leaders are going through. Because I can't imagine the stress back then either for those guys. But think about what they're doing. And all of a sudden, they, they pump the brakes. But they keep doing all those behaviors without having the other stuff to offset it, the mm -hmm. activity and stuff, I'm like, it's like trying to kill yourself. I said, so maybe that's part of it, you know? And I obviously, I've buddies. I think there's a lot of mental health stuff that comes with there's that too. There's still a lot stress. The stress definitely. That uh, hero to zero thing is a fucker, man. For sure. For that, sure. For, that's a big one. That that's a hard adjustment, especially. And I can't imagine. That was hard for me just coming back from Iraq to being a civilian. I would imagine if you go through your entire career like you did and you get to this inflated space and then you come from, like you said, you're sitting down with people that are the department heads in the army and you're in Washington, D.C. and you're doing the things that you've done and then you show up in Hillsborough, Missouri and you're just Sam. And that is a fuck. Like, you know, that's hard. I think a lot of people go down just because of that. I think the important thing is you got to find... What? What's next? Right. You can be put out to pasture, so to speak, or okay. What's my next mission? What's important now? That mission could just be finding a, a hobby and like I I think there's a really good book written by uh, Sebastian Junger. He was involved in like making Restrepo and some of these other things. But it's called Tribe. And uh, the book goes into a lot of things with PTSD and all this other stuff. But the most interesting thing I took away from the book was rather than, first of all, society and the media specifically have completely misportrayed what PTSD is. And because of that, it's been a feedback loop where a lot of veterans have used it to get paid because it's hard to prove and it, so it becomes a big uh, I know the science of it because I dealt with like the dude for the army when I was at Fort right Park. yeah you talked about that well but 
So you have all that, but in Tribe, he basically says, throughout society, you didn't hear about a lot of it in World War II. You heard about shell shock, like guys would snap eventually because the human bot, the human psyche can only take so much. Some of your best dudes would still have shell shock and just nut up randomly. Mm-hmm. They just hit overload, and yeah. they may for they'd be sent away for a day and then come back and they'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a society, when these people came back, you didn't hear a lot about PTSD. And they compared it to Indian tribes. And this is why I'm kind of excited to see how they're using, like, mushrooms and some other things to the clinical studies they're doing on it. Mm -hmm. Because they said in Native American cultures, when the tribe went to war, the tribe went to war. Think about World War II. The whole war effort, I don't care who you were, you felt it. Mm Mm-hmm. Not maybe I knew somebody who knew somebody who went to combat. It was, hey, we're all working in the factory. Everybody's rowing this boat, right? right? And when they came home, because everybody had some kind of shared sacrifice, there wasn't a big disconnect, right? So for context, I think in World War II, they said something like 10% of the population went to fight. In the height of the global war on terror, 0.45% of the population, less than half, was fighting in the global war on terror. That's a massive difference, right? Even on the news, you watch where it kind of lost views, I guess, and popularity. There were still dudes in the shit every day. Mm-hmm. Losing buddies, and because of survivability things like armor and things like that. Like, I, I remember I talked my uncles are green braids in Vietnam like max off like no shit and I remember talking to one of them one night and he's like I'm so proud of you I'm like don't tell me you're proud of me you just told me you went into a POW camp with nothing but a knife like he's like no he goes you've been blown up at the time it was like 12 times he goes you've been blown up 12 times he goes there's I more 30 <laughs> Three zero. <clears throat> that's the number Okay. Um, That's why I asked. There were some that were kind of like pop and drop little whatever, and there were some, like, the last one was a double-stacked anti-tank mine we hit. The overpressure was so much in the reconnaissance variant striker. Luckily, I saw it under thermals at the last minute and told my driver to cut it. The penetrator, you know how those work? Mm. You know the big birdcage on the strikers? That angle iron, and it's got the big, like, 200-pound winch? The penetrator went between the slat armor and the vehicle, sheared through the angle iron, hit the winch, ripped it off. It killed every radio in the vehicle, knocked us all out. <coughs> I woke up first, <coughs> crawled through the hellhole, cut the wheel around my driver so we didn't go in this massive ditch in the water, got it straight, tapped him, blood swept him. He was awake and fine. If it would have hit, it would have cut him in half and probably killed me too where I was. I couldn't even get my LT on the comms. Both my radios were out. It killed other assets that I can't talk about that I was talking to. Even my embitter on my body. It killed my personal radio. That's how much the overpressure was. Damn. Yeah. That was a fun one. That was the... If that wasn't the biggest, the first one I got hit with was probably the biggest. It was four one five five rounds. They had buried in curbs, two on either side of the striker. 
that one was big too. But I'm gonna say the worst I got it, I got blown up three times in one day. We were taking down Al Qaeda. Damn dude. <laughs> we're in Rawa, Iraq. One car bomber drove around. They were trying to bait us in. I was actually coming off the ramp, about to assault this guy who had shot at our attack. I was just coming out, getting ready to turn around and assault this thing, and I heard the gunner go, threat, whoop, 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 50 cal, and next thing I know, I got sucked into the vehicle. Car bomb hit, blew up, I got blown back into all the guys in the vehicle. We recovered it, exploited the site. Shook it off. We were in a neighborhood a while later. My first sergeant had been up ahead who they had got contact. I heard him come over the radio. He's like, house on the right side, blue gate. Same thing. Ramp came down. I was getting ready to dismount. They had, I don't know what they had, but this whole wall was rigged with explosives in this Mahala. Boom. Wall blew up right as I was coming off. Luckily, I hadn't stepped off this way yet. My foot was on the ramp. Glass went off. I got blown into the far wall of the striker. Woke up, and then on the way out, somebody had thrown a pop-and-drop IED. We got blown up on Xville later that day. I started getting a twitch later that day. Randomly. If I get tired, it hasn't happened in a while. They call it, an, I've had neurologists look at it. They just go, it's a motor tick. I go, well, it's fucking embarrassing when it happens. It'll be a whole body. It'll just, like, do that randomly. Right. <clears throat> they said, well, the meds we'd give you for it would be worse than what's happening. Yes, it's a thing. It's crazy. But I don't have black spots on my brain. So that's good. Respect, man. Not, not to turn Jesus. this politically, but that's what pisses me off about the country when people want to stand on a flag because it disrespects people like you guys that have fought and served in our country. It, the flag doesn't represent politics. It, it represents the men and women who have fought, died. That's what it means to some people. And I think I fought for people's rights to kneel at football games. I fought for people. It doesn't make me happy, but I fought for their right to do it. Right. I'm all for free speech, but I think there's better ways of doing it. Oh, I. I mean, I. Without agree. disrespecting the ones that. Well, but here's the thing. You know the reality of it. You know why most of us fought for the guy right next to us. Mm-hmm. In the moment, all I ever really cared about was bringing my guys home, and luckily I did. I mean, I've put guys in body bags. I've some of that, but my immediate guys, I got very lucky, and I was a Nazi when it came to rehearsals and how you acted outside when you were doing the job. My guys literally say I'm two people. I tell people that all the time. They said I had a kill switch. I could be joking around, whatever. As soon as we left the wire, they're like, you're a fucking robot. Even when I'm stacking bodies. Like, it's clinical to me. It's whatever. But the whole, like, dicking around, you'll see some guys, like, some videos piss me off. I'm like, one mistake. One mistake, and somebody's eating around from a sniper. One mistake. You're not paying attention. Somebody's stepping on a pressure plate, losing a leg, or not going home to their kids. You know, that, that that's the hardest thing. One, then you look at political things and talking about being pawns and have and have-nots. That's the biggest thing that will really piss me off is it's like... When, and it's hard for a lot of guys, once they question why they were doing what they were doing or why they got sent to do what they did, they can't, they can't wrap their head around it because everything that was sacrificed 
they can't believe maybe I was used. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for some guys, man. Very, very, very hard for some guys. Well, as a soldier, that was one of my biggest problems with the war from the beginning. I think if you're an elected official and you, the president in that case, you know, was it a George W., right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he had two children, I think they were daughters, that were both military age. You know, why I'm over in Iraq, we're reading articles about his daughter's out doing scandalous shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to put your own children on the front line, you don't need to make that vote. Well, period. And that shows you about, like we were talking about the disconnect earlier, it's not their fight. See, we're that pawns in that game, we're that expendable object. And it's not, they're not willing to put their risk there. No, they'll risk us, but they won't risk themselves or the things that they care about. Uh, even when you talk about enacting <clears throat> policy, right? So, like, when, even right now, like, gun. Obviously, I have a vested interest in firearms. But when they start talking about, when I've heard politicians talk about, no, we're going to come get them. And I'm like, okay, who's we? <laughs> you want to stack up, sweetheart? Because, so part of the last uh, omnibus spending bill was... million or billion to the ATF. I don't remember. It's a lot. But they were, because the pistol brace rule that dropped today. A big part of that funding wasn't just for personnel to process the paperwork because they said it was going to take seven years to do every brace in circulation. A big part of that bill was for increased insurance and for death benefits to ATF agents. So that means somebody knows that there's a potential side effect that if they send people, people are going to say, some people are going to say no enough, and some people are going to die. If you're willing to send somebody to get an item that's been in circulation for about the last 12 years, that's been totally fine, you're willing to send somebody into an environment where their life's on the line, what is wrong with you? How is that okay? No, it's not. And it's like I said, anybody who wants to enact these policies and everything else, that's great from your ivory tower. Right. Stack up. The ivory tower is a glass house, essentially. I mean, what's the statistic? There's more deer license sold in the United States than the largest two armies combined, and that's civilians. <laughs> like, we all love guns. That's why we're in America. I mean, let's be real. Uh, I mean, it could have, should have, would have, but, the, like... But it comes back to that analogy of, like, if there was us four on an island and I had a stick that you all didn't like that I had that stick and you said if you don't give us that stick I'm going to put you in this box it's like that's ridiculous well, it's right. ridiculous it's my stick you know like there's other sticks right or just because my stick's shaped this way yeah I'm just you saying can't have a stick I wish my stick was on bigger it. if you're willing to create well, an environment where you're going to illegal. <laughs> if you're willing to do something where the potential consequences for whatever you're enacting legislatively is going to directly put someone else in a harm's way or a direct conflict with another individual. If you're not, more to your point earlier, if you're not willing to do it yourself, shouldn't send you have else no either. business even entertaining that. Right. Now, and that's that whole, uh, was it Articulus? Or one of the old Greek philosophers had a quote about... Uh, those who, I'd have to look at the quote, but it's basically like, you need more of your warrior philosophers doing things because they've been there, otherwise you're going to have your fighting done by fools. And, and, your, and your 
the people who lead have no context. Right. Because it needs to be, hey, real consequences. You know what I mean? It's like when they were like allowing military, like women in the front line units. I'm like, fuck you. I don't want my daughter drafted because I know what that looks like. Because you want to know why? I don't want her to run into a room and any man this size, her to have to put that, regardless of that, not that she couldn't be confident. That's not part of it. Biologically, if war was a, there, there's a right reason we have the NBA and the WNBA. And I know plenty. You're talking to a guy who is an Opstar major. I sent one of the first women to pre-ranger who could have gone to ranger school. She didn't want to because she didn't want to shave her head. We would do competitions where she was totally confident. She was a beast, man. She was awesome. She could have crushed ranger school. It's not a matter of if they can't do it, but it's like collectively. But guess what? I still could have whooped her fucking ass. And I know we all know badass women. It's not about that. And I understand how you, oh, well, you're a misogynist if you think that. It's like, no. Do you want your, your I don't want my son doing it. But I damn sure there's all these other, these other things for what? For some sense of, that doesn't mean they're lesser. Well, I think, I, I think, too, that that highlights the exa- uh, uh, perfect example of what I was talking about earlier, where as a society, we've evolved beyond our need for human survival, right? The reason why we have those policies there is because women and children are important. We only need one guy. We, don't, we, we have to have many, many women. The population of women to men, men can die at large. That's why we are expendable biologically. We can die at large, and as long as there's one or two guys around, we can keep the tribe going, right? But the problem is when you start sending your women off to war, now you're losing large populations of women. Now your survival as a society, as a species, is in threat. And you can't do that. You have to protect the women and children. Well, that's like why they talk about so biblically, right? When you talk about the tribes when they went out and they were conquering after being in the wilderness. And there's nothing in the Bible against polygamy. There's actually, like, contrary stuff. It was expected because a lot of the men had died. Mm-hmm. No, you're taking them in and... Yeah. It's a survival pro- necessity. Procreating. You need, and because it was understood, it was a thing for the women... No, you better take in your brother's wife because mm-hmm. she's somebody has to take not only take care of her but it's like look there's dudes running around swinging fucking battle axes mm-hmm. like she may be badass but come on and right. she is way more important than mm-hmm. you yeah coupling, <laughs> coupling was a, a definitely a survival strategy and you know we biologically evolved into that and, and I think that that's that's something that's unfortunate that we're, we're starting to forget some of these things in society now. We're starting to get so disconnected that we're forgetting that these things are important. We're we don't so do this far anymore. into the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that the base of that pyramid has disappeared beneath the sand. Yeah. And that's why martial arts are so important is because they give you a direct link into your primal state, keep you grounded, realize that life and death can still exist in your physical give your body that natural reaction to where you can process the enlightened because if you don't have those if you don't have that primal need to survive like 
you're, it does something to your body physically. Well, you're tapping mm -hmm. into reality. It does some, yeah, you're tapping into a real world, a real world situation. Like, we don't live in the real world, the real world outside of society. Like, what Earth is. Mm -hmm. you look at any ecosystem. We don't live it. We created our own ecosystem. And we don't have to deal with these things, but our true selves, like our physical selves, you know, like the, the, there's three of us, right? Our physical thing, they all need that alignment with what they are to all work together. Right. To going through, being able to say, you know what, this guy's trying to kill me. You don't have to worry about social media. You don't have to worry about anything else other than, well, there's all damn, I didn't get choked. Right. You know, that... That Handle your business. Yeah, oh, that another, fucking... Uh, stuff like we do. Where does our food come from? I know. I just threw 10 eggs in a basket today. You, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's a like, direct link to your primal. Like, those little things. People fought and died over hunting land. When I was in Hawaii, I remember they had like, certain areas. That, Still like, do. They go, don't go, right? They were like, don't go to these areas alone. If you, could, I had a neighbor tell me it's pig hunting up on uh, North Shore. I was like, yeah, they're gonna go back in there with my bow. He's like, nope, Filipino guy. He's like, nope, nah, nah, bro. Don't do it. He's like, look. He goes, if you go back there, I'll tell you when we're gonna go hunting. You want to go with us? Bring some dogs. Bring whatever. He goes, don't go back there by yourself. And I go, I can handle myself. He's like, brother, <laughs> I didn't say you couldn't. He goes, you'll disappear up there. I'm like, dude, there's pigs everywhere on this island. There's a one pig a day bag limit, 365. There's that many. He goes, huh, uh-huh. That's how people live. He goes, if you roll up there, he goes, I'm telling you that area. He goes, look, if you want to go out on East Range, where your guys run it, take your bow out on that training area, that's one thing. He goes, you go up there, you're going to disappear. Same thing with spear, like I said, spearfishing. <laughs> no, mm-mm better roll deep you better have friends you'll become Tony the Tiger food you know what I mean like they will end you they take it that seriously because that's how they subsist they don't want no Holly out there <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> like dude yeah we've lost that though man try to remind it that's all you can do just put your toes in the dirt isn't life fun yeah. <laughs> if you can't go McDonald's, if you can't, it's like I tell people all the time. I'm like, like I can just hunt. I can whatever. I'm like, we have every, we had everyone's hunting. We had everything shut down. I'm like, there's a reason why the whitetail population in North America was almost eradicated to extinction in a year when the Great Depression actually happened. One year. And didn't recover until the 70s. I read, I heard a guy. He was. Oh a, yeah, Mr. Conservationist over here. Get ready for the lesson. <laughs> There was a dude, he wrote a book, he interviewed a guy who lived during the Great Depression, and his dad, this dude's dad who he was interviewing was an editor for a paper, and his dad was a, uh, you know how they have like the Dear Abby column or whatever? Well, his dad, he didn't know it at the time, wrote that column, but he wrote it under the acronym of his wife and kids. It was like something, every one of their names, but he never knew. Well, his wife, inadvertently, his wife didn't even know. She wrote in and said, my husband's really proud, doesn't want to take any handouts, blah, 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 and I really just want one thing. I need a winter, warm winter coat for my son to help with his chores. And in the course of this interview, he's like, well, what were your chores as a little kid? Like, why was your mom writing into this thing? He goes, well, he goes, we lived in the city. Most people didn't. 
He said every day I would ride the bus and I had a, a single a bolt action 22 and a single barrel 410 shotgun and I would get on the bus line. The guy would let me ride for free because he knew me or it'd be five cents every once in a while. And I'd ride out to the furthest stop and then I would hunt the fields for any small game I could find, field mice, small birds, whatever, just so we would have meat. He was 10. Can you imagine a 10-year-old right now riding on a bus with that just because everybody else is already doing Two shit? Arms. Hell no. Just so he could get small game to clean and drop in a pot so they had protein. That's crazy. And now you wonder why. Why were people going to war over the ability to hunt a herd? Mm-hmm. Because it's a resource, and it's really no different than why we fight now. It's just different resources. But the difference is, is the people they send to fight, everybody else has that disconnect. They, they're they not seeing the... Now, we didn't know what resource, but somebody sent... There's always It's always about a resource, right? Right. You know what I mean? So... The disconnect is the problem. Let's circle back to my point about PTSD and the disconnect. 0.45% of the population at the height of the global war on terror. Less than one half a percent. And that 0.45, those weren't door kickers. If you really get in the weeds, you're looking at 0.001% of where the people actually running and shooting people in the face, getting blown up, dealing with the bad shit. The disconnect is, the gap. that gap is so wide and so problematic the problem isn't the people who did it the problem is that those people their brains got reset to saber tooth tigers and most of society doesn't realize they still exist your brain just got reset to what reality is this is you and I had that conversation this is the real world yeah that's the real world this isn't the real world right I can go get any food I want yeah right I, now. I think that was the biggest responsibility for my my problem is transitioning back into the real world. It was just like, you know, you come back and you're in that primal state. And, you know, I'd said that to some friends when I was over there. And you know, I may have said that on a previous podcast too, but I tell them, it's like, you know, I, I know I'm different. I feel different, but I can't, I don't know what's wrong with me. And then when I got back home, that's when my body started reacting to this new environment. And it was my inability to deal with the environment change. That's all it was. I just couldn't handle the structure and how everything changed and the, how now a phone bill is more important. <laughs> you know, yeah, I couldn't yeah. couldn't process that. The fact that we have a phone. <laughs> Dude, I remember back... Dude, when... I didn't get my first cell phone until I got back from Iraq in 2003. It was, I was a mu- it was like a month after or two months after I got back from Iraq. I went down and got my very first cell phone. It was a fucking flip phone. Remember when they used to do them free with the plan, you know? It was like a $20 plan or whatever. Yeah. In a <laughs> off peak time. Off peak time. You got yeah. your, your friends list. Yeah. You picked yeah. four people. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was 20, what, you guys 20, are poor. 23, 24 time. years old or something <laughs> like that. Peasants. Yeah, that's I crazy. I got free text after nine, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you ready to take off? No, 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 my buddy. Oh, okay. <laughs> you fucked me too hard last time. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, throwing it out there. Well, we go deep. What year? <clears throat> what year did you say you were in Iraq? <laughs> Uh, I was there in like, the it was kind of like, oh, three, it, well, it was 0405, so I was there during the Battle of Missoula, the other I was there during the Battle of Missoula, there Farm during the elections, and then I was there in like, I did 15 months, uh, like, oh, 
06 to 07, almost into 08. So the height of the surge, we were actually the theater QRF. Um, and I was in Missoula primarily, and then we did some spooky stuff on the border in this town called Rawa. And then when I came back, I was in South Baghdad and in the Bani Zaid area in Bakuba and south of there. You were in the you were there at the same time my dad was there. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> Just saying. It's crazy. You're surrounded by elder men. I know. I was in high school in old How how old are you? I'm thirty two. Okay. And you are a pup. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I when I wrap my head around it, you don't I realize thirty one or thirty two. How old are you? How much you smoke? <laughs> What? 42. Oh, okay. I'm 42 as well. You guys are so old. How old are you? 37. 30, I was going to say 38. I'm 38. Next month. Hey. Wow. I'm 43 next month. Which day? 26th? 18th. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. See? Still beating up 20-year-old men. Fair enough. Living life. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> That's why I don't feel bad. Like last night when everybody was coming in, I, we lined up. You I didn't looked, feel bad after you rolled? I looked down and... Damn. No, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like I'll do better. No, 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 see, because here's the time. Every time we, I grab him and we roll, I talk to Sean about this today. I'm like, I, go in, I know I'm going to lose. It's more the chess game of what did I do right. That's why I'll ask you. I'll be like, hey, what happened there? What about that? Was... Because just because it didn't work didn't mean I wasn't doing it right. That's why I was like, hey, what about that switch? And you're like, no, no, that was good. If it's going to beat you. Or the dogfight we were in for a while. Like, we were dogfighting so hard, people had to get the fuck out of the way for a minute. Like, it was a good dogfight. Mm-hmm. And I knew you were going to die for eventually, too. And I had and an answer to I was it. You just caught it. it. Right. Yeah. You just caught it at the right, right. time. He knows what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it. Anyway. But no, when I lined up to, like, warm <laughs> everybody up, I, like, looked down the line and I was like, yeah, dude, that's like, what's crazy about the night classes. It's all the young guys, and the day classes is all the yeah. guys. And then when they meet, it's a clash. Well, Eric, Eric pulled a classic hymn the other day. I was out there rolling, and I was rolling with Jackie. You know, I was having a pretty good night, and I was feeling good about myself. And I guess he's seen that somewhere. He was like, oh, look, he looks happy. And I'm sitting on the floor, like, minding my own business. What do I feel? Eric, climb on my back. Well, I wasn't I didn't, ask you. I didn't. Last time you ignored me. I, I didn't. I didn't feel very good for much longer. Uh, <laughs> things co- went things put, went downhill quickly. He put the Cosby in Cosby. Yeah, yeah, it uh, <laughs> made Anthony's jello pudding. Yeah, and I was like, oh. But you know, there was that brief moment when he first grabbed me that I still had that confidence going, and I felt good. Was and fun. I was like, oh, I'm gonna do okay. Yeah, fuck. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> that was a stupid thought. <laughs> so last night, Eric and I rolled, and uh, we had done. We're laying there for a minute. We're just kind of bullshitting. And then like, I go over to start trying to open my bag and stuff, and he was rolling with uh, James James. And I'm kind of trying to talk James James through some stuff. I'm like, no, dude, do this. What are you doing? And then somebody talked shit, and he and Eric, there were three of them. And Eric's like, I'll fuck up all three of you. And, uh, oh, yeah, I was there for that. I yeah, watched that. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, I Dude, was like. you murdered. Well, because he was like, okay. I was so impressed. I'm about to, f- I knew that was going to happen. I was like, 
he's gonna hurt somebody. This is gonna happen. The armbar, I thought for a minute. My I let it go quick. I, I know, no, 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 I know. And then uh, when that big kid, I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, when you snatched his leg, the only thing I could think, because you were sitting there holding it and like trying to be like, dude, just tap, I have you. And you're holding him, and he's huge, but he's on the ground. And you started to swing. I can only think of like if an alligator grabs somebody and swinging them back and forth like a bad. All right, well, and we got to preface this for the audience. So I, I want to retell this story too because I seen it from a different angle with a completely different perspective. Okay, so first off, the one kid's a college level. Was he D one wrestler? Or is he D2? D2. He's there. He wrestled. I'm probably D2. I think he was D2. But yeah, because I talked to him about it. He's an elite level wrestler, like college level. And, uh, the one I worked with. So he's huge, much bigger than you two. He's what, six foot, like 180, 185? Yeah, right? Big kid. He's big kid. 185. The other kid, <laughs> who was who the other kid? Um, he was a good sized kid too. He was probably like 170 and he's been training. Yeah, yeah. So he's quite a bit bigger than you. You were like 150, 155 right now? He was at 160. 160. Drew was at Hans for a while. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm sitting over there and then all of a sudden I call, I see you call the guy over because you were rolling with James James. And I'm like, oh, what is he doing? And then it's like, oh, he's getting ready to grapple all of these guys. And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to get murdered. This is like one of those funny coach moments, you know? And I'm like, how are you going to jujitsu three people? Right. And what I don't know is, see, I've only seen you go into kill mode once, and that was against Riley. I haven't watched any of your PGF matches or anything. So, and then you got murdered. So, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect, right? And then it started, and they all grabbed you, and then you just dismantled the group in this terrorizing way. It's like one kid down, one kid gone, the other kid's running away, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Well, I was like, holy shit! So I knew James was gas, and I knew you were gonna hide everything and wait. And when you were sitting there, I go, you guys are fucking up. I was talking shit the whole time. I go, you guys are fucking up. I'm like, body lock his leg. Like, body lock him, get to his legs, hold it, take him apart. And they were just, they didn't know at all. And then it was just like, as soon as, because you did. I gave him a chance. I know. But you hid your <laughs> arms, and you, then when you went here, and you turned, and you were on your side, and they were so worried about, I'm going to try to pick apart this one sub. I'm like, they're fucking dead. They're dead. But, and then you just then you just did the tech stand. But you know what? Entangled armbar, and I'm like, he's fucked. Okay. <laughs> but you know what I liked about this situation is? It's because the jujitsu approach was very similar to the Muay Thai approach. If I would have been in a similar situation like that, and I, we do a lot of sparring situations with multiple people, so that's a normal thing. But your sparring changes, and you did exactly what I would have done. You went into a defensive posture, you maintained defense, and then you systematically took out individuals as quickly as possible. Just isolate. And isolate and destroy. Well, yeah, isolate I put and Drew the, on top of Christian. Like yeah. I, I placed them in a line, and I finished them one at a time. Right. And, and that's, that what, was, that's what we do, right? I would use my footwork to block opponents, I would take out a single opponent, use my footwork to trap that opponent, and just work that down. And then, like you, like the like your jujitsu change, you weren't playing that long game. That's how your Muay Thai would change. I wouldn't be playing that jab game. I'd be coming in for the kill. Right. Boom, boom. Finish, him, boom. Go. Finish, go. Finish, go. You know, and then make your way through. And I was like, I seen that. And I went, oh, that's slick. That was really slick. I was super impressed. I thought you. 
I honestly expected I, I was. I thought they were going to. I was hoping it was going to go longer. I thought they I were going to smidge. I was, I was like, thinking. Damn, I, thought, I thought they were coming at me. A little you were outweighed, well, outmatched. I was I like, I thought, man. Well, I matched manpower. I was expecting a little more heel hook initially, honestly, just because how they were on top moving. I was like, okay, the way he's hiding his arms, he's just going to grab something and start rolling. And then when you kicked him on top, and then you isolated and you had space. I'm like, and it's over. Okay, this is. Well, it really made me appreciate. I don't. I've not been in a scenario where I've been in a fight with a high-level grappler like you. As a striker, you're always worried about going to the ground anyway. But I think I really learned an appreciation for how quickly that fight's going to end in that moment. I think I, in my mind, I always thought there'd be a struggle. And now I realize that no, you're just you're going to be put away so fast when that ground action happens that you're not going to be able to react to it. And that's what's scary. It's like you broke that kid's arm. You could easily turn around, taking his neck. You could have finished that fight in what so many I, different my, ways. My, my, what went through my head was like broke his arm, and I stood up and I saw because he was kind of still on top of yeah. Christian. I like pushed him, took the arm, and then I was like I broke his arm. I stood up. I'm like I could kicked you in the head. And then I went and addressed this, you know, the other guy on the ground that was struggling. Like, oh no, I need to get up. Right. He's like, I need to wrestle, and I just took his ankle, and I was like, okay, you know. Right. <laughs> as, as, James, as James James was leaving the area, yeah, he was like, James, he, was, James he the only smart one. Yeah. The only smart one. James James was like, rest around, and then he saw how fast it went. He goes, I'm not getting any part of this. <laughs> yeah. I was, they jumped in to help him, and he was like the guy who was like. Or I got in a fight in high school. So the question hard. is, at what level do we have to get three people that can actually beat you in that None. scenario? None. None. Not one. You okay. think you can do that against three black belts? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if there are three black belts out there the, that would like to, to fuck no. Eric up. <laughs> I will. I will video this. They weren't smart. Okay, how about this? How about this? The problem was they weren't yes, smart. If they enough. were smart, it would have been. They weren't smart enough to situation. talk to each other. That was the problem. I was trying to. I was like. I thought they you were better. Gonna, body, you better collect. That's the so question. Yeah. The first thing that I thought was going to happen. I thought one of them would have collected your shoulders. One would have collected your hips, and, and that would have been and it. Then pick a limb. And pick a limb and isolate. But they did not do that. That was a terrible game plan. Been, listen, I'm going to be 100 century truthful. I don't think they would have gone any other way. It may have lasted longer if they tried to isolate. But I was going to get them. I had already decided that it, that was the only way. It's just they let it be that. I'm going to have to run that back. I got the security camera. I'm going to have to fucking... For the listening audience out there, that mindset right there, that's how you become a bike belt. That's how you achieve those elite levels. You have to believe in yourself like that. If you don't believe you yeah, can do it, if, if you don't <laughs> believe that you can do it, you're not going to. Period. I'll have plenty of good yeah. exchanges and then be like, man, I fucked up. Yeah, I was actually mad James James didn't join in because I was like, mm -hmm. I was hoping for it to be a little harder. He was too tired. You know, anytime <laughs> I find myself, you know, especially, I was hoping it and it supplies in life too, but especially in martial arts, because that's where I find myself challenging myself the most, right? That's why I put myself in precarious situations. But I don't care how precarious the situation is, I always believe there's a chance I can do it. 
Right, yeah, dude, there's always I always know, I always believe, like, even how ridiculous it is, if I say, I think I can do that, there is a part of me that really will, fuck it, I think, you know, or I wouldn't be trying it. Yeah, I 100% You even said yourself, my confidence is my superpower, that's exactly it. Right, yeah, oh, 100%. And then going back to the training thing, I mean, I always questioned my training until I bounced to the bar, and that was Mm -hmm. the most solidifying thing I've did in my life, seeing how many people have that game plan that does not work when you're going to get some nice experience in fighting. Right. See, I'm working the, people. I'm, the, I'm like, I exist in two places. Because I can be like, you never know. That's where I'm at a lot. Because, just like with shooting, I can show you some fat old guy who will just run a gun like a ball, and you just, you're just like, I can't touch this dude. Like Jerry Mitchell, like you saw that guy anywhere, and you didn't know who that was. Like this old scrub, and then he's dumped fifteen rounds into your chest, and you're like, "Oh, and I'm dead." Seconds, yeah. Okay, right? Yeah. But yeah. for me, like bouncing or something, as soon as it's hands on, more often than not, because I know the numbers, like then it's like. Because I don't really see size either. Like that kid last night, he was a good wrestler, he was big, whatever. I still knew a lot of shit he didn't know. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. His, his wrestling's good, but then I'm like, nah, man, you need to do this. You need to do this. Because, well, it's like that old guy who was in the other, the Falconer. Cool. Cool old dude. But he was like, the way he was talking, I was like, I want to see him. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's a couple, there's a couple possibilities there. Yeah. But I'm also kind of like, he may get his ego crushed a little too. Or he will. He may be. He may be. Un- I, I was trying to explain to Sean today because I told him. I go, well, it's one of two things: either he's like one of the scariest guys in the room, or he's Uncle Rico. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I used to be able to throw football over the mountains, <laughs> quarter mile. <laughs> well, it's one yeah. of it's one of the two, right? But the way he was yeah. talking, guys, like, I'm gonna have to call it there. I gotta get out of here. Yeah, I gotta get out of here too. Actually, good chat. We're gonna have to have you back on and like. Hear from you. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know. I'll come back. For sure. I'm scared. Gotta expand the whole pub table. Where your chaps? Where your chaps? Well, we'll take the photos. We'll take the photos next time. No, they're on. They're just under this. <laughs> <laughs> well, All right. It's hard to talk when Sam goes on a on a military because on you don't his, wanna, yeah. I don't want. I like being a sponge. Like I love oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. hearing stories from you guys because as a civilian, the respect that I have for militaries. I grew up like military EMT teachers police department they're the heroes in the world and when I get to hear stories like that I just shut up and just listen I mean totally agree yeah Yeah. bad respect thanks that's awesome well it was a good time guys that's gonna wrap up this episode remember if you uh, are just joining us go ahead and subscribe we wanna hear your feedback make sure that you put some comments down there if you agree with what we said or if you would like to Put some, wrong. Yeah, Debated. put some input for future future episodes and things like that. But we appreciate you guys, and we are out. Later.